You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Denver, Colorado. And you can find out more about us at houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. After 27 years on earth, I am just now beginning to understand how my mental health has impacted my faith. Frankly, it feels very strange to now actually have enough awareness of what is going on in my mind and in my body. You see, two years ago, whenever trauma would rear its head or depression would plunge me into isolation or anxiety would keep my knee bouncing and my hand shaking, I would turn to food to cope. And I would turn to my faith. But turning to my faith usually led to more shame and guilt than to freedom and rest. I somehow felt like the struggles with my mental health were just things that were just my burden to bear, just my cross to carry. So when something bad happened, I wholeheartedly believed that God was mad at me. And that left my mind spinning out of control. I would be up all night reading the scriptures while searching my memory and conscience for the one thing I needed to do, the one thing I needed to confess to, in order to get God back on my side. And it did not help that I kept on hearing certain messages from the church. Pray harder. Strengthen your relationship with Jesus. And yes, these were posed as the only two viable solutions to getting God to love you again and make your mental health problems go away. Fast forward 20 years, and you now have a happily medicated weekly therapy attender, trauma trauma survivor, pastor preacher. And I finally feel like I have this mental health thing down. You work with your psychiatrist for medications. You work with your therapist for badgery and trauma healing. You learn your triggers. You learn to set boundaries. You learn healthy coping strategies. One coping strategy that I have have come to love is called catastrophizing. Who has heard of that before? Yes? So put basically... Catastrophizing works when you have anxiety. Anxiety is fear about the future. Okay? So when you have anxiety, you are tunnel-visioned. You cannot hear anyone trying to convince you otherwise. You are focused on the future and having anxiety about it. (laughs) Sorry. So we're going to try catastrophizing. So one thing I was taught by my therapist is... They would say, name one anxiety. Is there an anxiety in our system, in our, in our culture, in our world right now that you'd like to name? Start shouting them out and I'll pick one. Climate. Okay. The climate crisis is an anxiety. Okay. This is bad. Sorry. This is not a good example. But, okay. Let's catastrophize it. So catastrophize it means that you add another layer of unbelievability to it. Climate crisis. What could be the worst thing that happens 
yes, we're dead. We no longer cease to exist. That did not work. Okay, let's use a different example. Okay, so, so um, there is, when I was an intern in Boston, right, high schoolers had a lot of anxiety because they were expected to go to Ivy Leagues. You know, growing up in the Midwest, you prize to send your kid to a private Lutheran college. My parents did it, right? Some other parents have done it. We live for that. But in New England, you know, dad went to Harvard, mom went to MIT, and that's a different anxiety, right? So we would help them work through their anxiety by saying, so um, a kid came to me and said, I got a B, my world is over. Okay? That's real in an anxious brain. Let's catastrophize it. I got a B, and now my GPA is a 3.9. Okay, let's catastrophize it a little bit more. I'm not valid Victorian. I quit school. Hello, hello, welcome. I quit school, and I end up homeless on the streets. How did you go from I got a B to I'm now unhoused on the streets. Can we see how crazy it is? But yet when you're anxiety, that is nothing, that is all you see is just how end of the world it is. So catastrophizing, we're able to collapse those walls closing in. It is amazing that I now come out of therapy like I used to walk out of church, fed, nourished, redeemed, and something still feels missing. In the midst of this incredible expansion and transformation of my mind, I showed up to an intensive week for my program to become a spiritual director. And Michelle knows me very well. When I'm asked to be in a place, don't send me anything to do ahead of time. Me getting there on time is enough. So we come back from, we get to Senate Assembly, and Bishop Jim walks over and says, Wiley, you did the pre, the pre thing, the pre meetings, right? And I said, Th those were optional. He was like, no, you had to do them to then show up to be prepared. Bishop, I'll do that next time. Don't worry. So I'm supposed to show up to this session, and I have no idea what is on the agenda. You're lucky I got there on time, right? And then they give me this big title on a PowerPoint presentation. Mental health, trauma, and spiritual direction. So here it goes, taking the two things that are at odds with one another inside my body and mind and spend a whole week with it. You gotta love how God works. We learned how many people show up in spiritual crisis when they are actually in a mental health crisis. We learned how to refer, how to understand the very basics of trauma and depression and anxiety. And we learned that when our mental health is off, our view and understanding of God is warped. We begin to believe that we need to suffer, that we have to pray harder, that we have to confess it all, and if we don't, God will not be pleased. We cannot accept the unconditional love of God because perhaps our unhealed trauma has convinced us of the lie that love can only be conditional. One of my speakers was Dr. Amy, and she is a mental health counselor and spiritual director. She wears my most favorite shirt now, which is I have Jesus and a therapist. 
and I would add to that medications, but that's just me. It was incredible to spend a week with experts and practitioners alike, all studying and trying to care for the entire person holistically, the body, the soul, and the mind. The church was and is wrong when it says, just pray harder and have a deeper relationship with God. You certainly don't need therapy nor medication. But the church saying nothing and the church subcontracting the care of the mind intimately interwined with the soul to psychology is wrong. After that week, I have been trying to integrate my work in therapy and my faith. So, now I set a timer for one minute and I write it out or I think about it, a current anxiety that I have, and then I catastrophize it. Dr. Amy taught us that anxiety makes you deaf. Things narrow, you can't hear anything or anyone. If you keep at it, it will only intensify. But when you catastrophize, you are forcing the mythical floodgates to open, realizing that they will collapse when you push them more and more. So after I catastrophize the anxiety, I then take a walk and come back to it and read it. And usually by the end of reading my mental rant, I begin to see just how absurd the fear and anxiety was. But now that I am trying to live holistically, I then bring my therapy work to God by having a conversation with God about this particular anxiety. For me, it involves laying on my bed, being attentive to my body and my surroundings, and I began to ask God all the questions that were swirling inside my head. But this next part was new for me. For every question I asked, I took a deep breath and I trusted God inside of me and responded to my own questions. You see, as a pastor, I do this every single day with people on the street, with people I run into walk, with all of you. And I have come to believe that I can't hear God. And yet all I need to do is simply respond to God inside of me and respond to the care that I give the world. And for the first time, I myself was able to trust God's truth inside of me, even when my brain was too busy firing from old unprocessed memories which attempt to rob me of my divinity. Therapy, meds, and Jesus is like getting the car unstuck in the ditch in rural Minnesota. Some of you know what this means, right? Truck is stuck, you gotta find that two by four to jam it up under that wheel so you can get some traction and get the hell out of there. That is what it takes. Not just Jesus, not just therapy, not just meds. All of them. The Pharisees and empires within our very minds have attempted to rob us of the truth we know so deep in our bones. And God does not want us to carry burdens that Christ is willing to carry for us. If only we were willing to actually give it all over to God and trust that the healing of our minds is safe in the hands of God. 
For God's hands are already working in the midst through our therapist, our beloveds, our brain chemicals. For if God has not failed us yet, then what are we to fear? Try it. Try to actually name all the burden you carry and then let Christ bear it for you and and instead give you Christ's own yoke in exchange. A yoke of love, of gentleness, of justice, of unbridled freedom, a yoke that is forged in the faith of our ancestors, a yoke that is bolstered by our growing attentiveness to our body and mind, a yoke that frees us from the torments of our minds because with Christ's yoke, and perhaps with some medication and therapy, we shall begin again to see and experience life abundantly as God would want us to. Christ has already endured the catastrophe for you and me. So take on Christ's yoke and God's truth and rest. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. If you would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, please visit our website at houseforall.org/giving.